listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. Please open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Walking worthy of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 9. For this reason, we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and I like the King James better than this, and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. To walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, means that we are walking as he walked. Now, we're not perfect. Let me make sure that we understand this clearly. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected as we apply the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, go over into the book of Ephesians chapter 4, because... Uh, this is, uh, when you see the, the writings of Paul, some of it, some of which is similar. And so, when we are to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Paul puts it in a different way in Ephesians chapter 4, look at uh, verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's a progressive work. Till we come to the unity of the faith. Now this is not speaking of denominations. This is speaking of individuals growing in such a way that we unify ourselves in Christ and we take on the very nature and lifestyle of Christ and it's being built up and we're being unified as a result of this. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, so it's a progressive work. We're, we're, we're being, we're being uh, uh, taught the scriptures in such a way that there is a goal. And the goal is... A, to a perfect man, to a perfect man. So, so we see that, we understand that. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every, doc, every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Now watch this. From whom 
the whole body, means every one of us, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, which means that you have something that you can supply to me. And I have something that can supply to you. That is in accordance with the scriptures. By which every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. You see, as long as you are walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, you have a part to play. That where I am deficient, you supply something. And when you're deficient, my joint supplies something. And what does it do? It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Look at verse 23 in Romans chapter 8. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, I like the King James again, to wit the redemption of our bodies. So what is the, the, full, the full measure of the adoption is the redemption of our bodies. Look, our bodies are decaying. It's getting old. And, and, and there's no way around it. And so the final piece of this puzzle is that as our, as our inner man is progressing to know Christ, the consummation of this progressing to know Christ is the redemption of our bodies. For, verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why then? Why does he? Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We're going to get to perseverance, hopefully, in, in this message about walking worthy of the Lord. Perseverance is a very key part of this. But look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. In other words, our inability to produce results. The Spirit of God helps our weaknesses. You know, those places where we know that we have to work on. I, I, I like what most basketball coaches do with, with individuals that are learning how to play basketball. And, and, and not only learning how to play basketball, but is taught the game correctly. And so most good coaches will always see your strong points. And that's the way we are all the time. We always want to show our strong points. We, we want to show how good we are. Now, I'm left-handed, so I want to show how good I am. So I'm going to use my left hand to show how good I am. But the coach will say, now I want to teach you how to use your right hand just as good as your left hand. I'm going to teach you how to think right-handed while you are left-handed dominant or left-minded dominant. So that's the way the Spirit of God works. He sees our strengths, 
but he also sees our weaknesses. And then he takes you in to the closet with the word of God and shows you, you can pray strong, but you can pray stronger. You can live holy, but you can live holier. There's always room for improvement. So never be afraid to strengthen the weak areas. When we get in the pulpit, we always want to show the, the best. We want, to, we want to show how good we are, but, but what about your weak points? What about the weak places? There were weak places in me. And, and really, in all actuality, if you do not take care of strengthening the weak places, they ultimately will become dominant places. Because you're allowing what's weak to be obscured so nobody sees it, but God sees it, and he wants it to be strengthened, and the devil even sees it. And that's where he's going to attack. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Hold your place there and go over into uh, 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 um, uh, 1 Corinthians. Go over into 1 Corinthians. Because in 1 Corinthians, notice what it says here. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Well, let's look at what it says here in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And... and uh, Look at verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm standing strong in the Lord and the devil says there's a weak spot. I see a weakness that I can exploit. And he goes over there and exploits your weakness. And then all that strength that you boasted about. Now you're humbled. You're brought low. But see, look at verse 13. Thank God it doesn't end there. Verse 13 is very powerful. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He comes and helps. You see, you're not fighting this thing alone. To walk worthy of the Lord, we all need help. And so the help comes from the Holy Spirit, but the help also comes from individuals that is trying to supply something to you from their joint because they see that there is a weakness and the Holy Spirit uses them to strengthen you in that area. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 8, look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, does anybody know how to pray 100% effectively? No. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He may, he, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, he takes our weaknesses, our inability to produce results, our inabilities to produce on a level that's 100% pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit takes it, and then what does he do with it? 
he intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, words that you cannot say that is expressed to God that adequately expresses to God what your heart is actually saying. Now, don't get me wrong. When we pray the word of God, it, it is the word of God in and of itself is perfect. But even in that, the Holy Spirit takes those words and says it to God with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then God takes it and then responds to it. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what, it, what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when we pray, when we pray constantly, and when we pray all the time, the Holy Spirit is there to help. Yes. Praise God. You're not left alone. The Holy Spirit is always there to help. And verse 20 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. You see, you don't have to know the details of how it works together. The only thing that you need to know that it's going to come together. That's all you need to know. You don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to work this out. You don't know how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is going to work it out. But because you prayed and the Holy Spirit saw that you need help, he came and helped you out. But you don't know how you're going to get out of this. But somehow, some way, all things work together for good to those who, lo who love God. So we're going to find out who love God and who don't. We're going to find out who love God. Because see, everybody can say, I love the Lord. You know, that, that, that great Richard Smallwood song, I love the Lord. That, that, that powerful anthem, powerful song. But you see, when you weed out the ones that really love God and the ones that don't, you will find that the ones that truly love God are the ones that, that all things work together for good does work. The ones that don't love God or they say that they love God but they really don't, it never works out for them. Never works out for them. Now don't, don't get me wrong, when God sees that, that a person needs a, a little help and, and needs deliverance, he does on his own, he does, he does come and help. But you see, that should be an indication to all of us that when we know that we are doing wrong and something begins to come upon us as a signal, it's, it's a signal of chastisement. It is to remind you that you're not walking as you say you're walking. It's a reminder. You're not doing what you said that you said to do, you would do. And, and so the Lord catches us and, and gives us a little something, a little incentive. And the next thing you know, what it should do is, is, is correct you so that way you will not be condemned with the world. And we know that all things work together to good to, to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So, um, when we see that these things are operating the way that it should, then what God does is that he gives you the help that you need. The Lord always gives you the help that you need. Now go back to the book of Ephesians. Go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 16 again. 
from whom the whole body joined and knitted together and knit together rather by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying or building of itself in love the edifying of itself in love now go back to the book of colossians colossians chapter 1 We'll, we'll get to uh, the love part because that's, that's the next point that I want to make. Um, but notice again here in verse 11 in Colossians chapter 1. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and have transla translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I know that the New King James is, uh, you know, says something different. I'm aware, I'm aware of that, but I'm 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 giving deference to the King James version because I believe that that's the the uh, the appropriate phrase. It doesn't have to be changed in any way. So, uh, so how did how did Christ walk? Well, let's let's first go to First John chapter two. First John chapter two. We're going to find out how Christ walked, and, and, and that'll lead us into uh, what we've seen in Romans chapter uh, 8 about uh, loving the Lord, loving, loving God. We're going to get into that. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, and, and John says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, not only for ours, or not, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So thank God that we have an advocate. A, a person who will plead on our behalf. Thank God for that. And the advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Look at verse 4. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is is not in him. So don't ever say that I'm keeping his commandments and you know that you're not because the word will tell you that you're a liar. But whoever keeps my word, the word keep is very powerful here. The word keep means to watch, to guard. You know what it means to, to watch or to guard? It means that you are in possession and you refuse to let anybody take it from you. And that ties in with the, uh, the parable of the sower. Especially the one that is at the, the, the wayside. Remember that parable that Jesus spoke of? He said that those that are on the wayside are the ones that receive the word of God and immediately Satan comes and takes the word. He didn't keep it. He didn't guard it. He didn't protect it. He just let the devil come and take it. I pray that none of us is on that ground. You see, that's what it means to keep the word of God. You're not going to let anybody take it from you. 
I mean, what if somebody gave you $100? A $100 bill. You would go crazy, ecstatic. But then again, somebody comes and want to take it from you. Some of us will fight. Say, wait a minute, this is mine. Well. <laughs> you know, you got to fight for what's, for what's yours. You keep it and you guard it. That, 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 that's it because it is of value. Yes. That $100 bill is valuable to you. Or if somebody gave you gold or silver or something precious to you, you're going to protect it. That's what it means to keep. It means to guard, protect. Well, why don't we do the same with the word of God, which is of much more value than a $100 bill? Of much more value than gold or silver or precious stones. But whoever keeps his word truly, now watch this, the love of God is perfected in him. The love of God is perfected in him. What is the love of God being perfected in you? Well, this is in Matthew chapter uh, 22, which we'll get to later. Don't turn it yet because I want to finish reading the rest of this. But keep in mind the love of God because the, the, the love of God is not that you love others, and, but that you love God above others. And you love God 100% over sin. Now the book of Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and the arrogance, and the perverse lips my soul despises, the Lord says. You see, when you come into Christ and you come into the word and you have developed a love for God, it is proven by the way you hate evil. I mean, you just don't tolerate it. There, there's, there's, there's no tolerance for evil because God has no tolerance for evil. God has perfect hatred for evil. And so should we because he saved us from sin. He saved us from evil. So we develop that hatred of evil and sin that even God himself has. Look at verse 5 again in, in 1 John chapter 2. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Why? Because if you go into chapter 1, and I believe verse 4, verse 5, it says, it says that, that there is no darkness in him. So if you're in him, there is no darkness in you. There's no darkness in you. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him. Now see the word abides is where John got it from in, in John chapter 15. Where Jesus said abide in me and my words abide in you. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If he's walking holy, I'm walking holy. If he's walking righteous, I'm walking righteous. If he's walking pure, I'm walking pure. Whatever the Lord does, I do. 
That's what it means to walk just as he walked. Now, we talked about uh, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Now, if you were to go to the book of Matthew and chapter 34, you'll see this. this. This is the proof of the love of God right here. But when the Pharisees, verse 34, Matthew chapter 22, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. And saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all. How much? All. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not with some. Not part-time. You know, you always have these part-timers in the body of Christ part-time believers because they want to be part-time in Christ part-time in sin but see if you're in sin you're never all the time in Christ you've departed from Christ you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, you have... How many of you know that when you use a hanger, you're putting clothes on it so you can hang your clothes, right? Well, what's hanging on the law and the prophets? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments in verse 40, hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, the rest of what is said is, is, is based on this hanger. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, verse uh, 37 and verse 39 is similar to, or I should not say similar, but it comes from the foundation of the scripture that Jesus is speaking of. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, if you'll turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, when Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 22, where he used the word mind, here in Deuteronomy, it is strength. In other words, with all your heart, in other words, the breath that God gave you, with all of your soul, which is your mind, and Jesus used the word soul in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 37, but now strength or mind is your physical body. In other words, your body loves the Lord. Now remember what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
uh, uh, your spirit, your soul, and your body. So that's the tripart or tri-departments, if you allow me, of, of man. God breathed into you the breath of life, which comes from God. You became a living soul, and your body is now alive. Look at verse 6 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So it's to, how is it passed down? It's passed down to the family. It starts with you and, start, and, and, and it's passed down to the family. And you're wondering why people are doing the things that they're doing and it's because there is no teaching of the scriptures in the family. It's not being passed down. All right, so I, I don't want to get too far into that because if I do, I'll, I'll get caught up into something else. Go to the 10th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. Now in the book of Exodus, we saw that Israel was genuinely afraid. And they told Moses that when the Lord was coming down out of the mountains with loud trumpet blasts, they told Moses, Moses, you talk to the Lord. We don't want to talk to him because we're afraid of him. And then the Lord told Moses, the thing that they said was good. <laughs> In other words, they were so terrified of God. Now, Paul said this in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is. Uh, a second, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, uh, we, knowing the terror of God, persuade men. And see, and see, that's what compels people to get saved. You see, the reason why they're not getting saved is because they're not terrified of God. They're not afraid of God. And so what brings terror to people when you tell them that they're in sin and that as a result of their sin, they're going to, God is going to put them in hell, but... If you come out of sin, repent of sin, and place faith on Christ alone, then you won't go there. You see, what keeps us out of jail? The fear of being handcuffed. Being, I mean, what is, what is one of the greatest fears when you're driving? And you know you're driving too fast, but you didn't see that trooper. And, and, and you still don't see him because you're not looking in the rearview mirror. You're focused on doing 80 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden the trooper has had enough and turned on his lights. And all of a sudden your heart skips a beat. Because you know that you did something that he caught you doing that he will give you a ticket for. You see, there's, there's terror. That's, that's terrified. And so... The same thing with preaching the gospel to people. Why? We have to bring the terror of the Lord to them in order for them to understand what it means to be saved. Again, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and uh, the middle of uh, verse uh, 12, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways 
and watch to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Children don't understand why you have these rules, but you know that it's for their good. And it's the same with the Lord. He tells us not to do these things so for our own good. For instance, you man shall not lie as uh, with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination to the Lord, the book of uh, Leviticus chapter 18 tells us. But I'm going to do it anyway. And God says, don't do that. It's an abomination to me. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. And you go ahead and do it anyway. Well, what, what will happen? Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us that you will receive in yourself the error of the penalty, the penalty of the error, rather, which was due. The penalty of their error, which was due. Consequential judgment. You see, when you have sex outside of marriage, or when you have sex with male as with a man, and sex as a female with a female, you will get consequential judgment. You will get an STD, sexually transmitted disease. Because your body is not made for fornication. And your body will judge you. And it will turn on you. Because you've committed a sin that's in vi direct violation of God's command. So whenever there is a consequential judgment, people receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due... Some people will say, well, I just don't believe that AIDS is the judgment of God. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You're, you're trying to tell me that God did not send this as consequential judgment? All right. Let's say you agree with that. So let's say you had children and your child walks over to the stove and, and knows how to turn on the stove, but he's playing with the stove. He's playing with fire. But you walk over them and you t over to that child and said, don't play with that stove. And you turn the gas off. But that didn't persuade him. That didn't really t change his mind. So he walks back over there behind your back and turn on the stove again. And then you told him, the next time you touch that stove, I'm going to spank you. Do not touch that stove. You know it's for their own good. But he doesn't really believe that. So he goes back behind your back again and turns on the stove. And then all of a sudden, pow! Now, the fear is reinforced because he received the penalty. Because you know that if you do not do that to the child, he's gonna walk back over there to that stove and turn the gas on, and this time leave it on. And you already in bed, but he went back downstairs while you were in bed, turned on the stove, and now the whole house is filled with gas and everybody dies or explodes. It's for our own good. And so uh, 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 they say, well, it's, 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 it's not consequential judgment. God is not judging me. Then what is it? Then what is it? 
It's consequential judgment because God knows best. Go to the 30th chapter, the 30th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, look at verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see, God doesn't want us to die, but because Adam and Eve failed to obey the commandments of the Lord, then God instituted the death penalty. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, or whether we accept it or not, every last one of us, even though we're saved, saved and unsaved, we're all under the death penalty. We're all under the death penalty. Why is that? Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then you have Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for, all, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then you have Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22 where it says that the scriptures has confined all under sin. And so being that the wages of sin is death, if you sin, you will be paid wages. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that you won't be paid any wages is when you put faith on Christ alone and never to walk in sin ever again. And so we're all under the death penalty, every last one of us. And why is that? It's because God is using death as an incentive to get saved. God is, God is using death as an incentive to get saved. Because just imagine if, if there's no incentive and we just continue to sin. But he put it like this for one reason and one reason only. God is only going to go through death once. All right, so, uh, uh, so we, the way that we show that we love God is, in other words, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is by doing what he said in his word to do. That's why when we sing about loving the Lord, if we lack keeping his word, then we prove that we really don't love him. When we walk in the flesh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. You see, when we walk in worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every work, good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of, re of redemption. To grieve the Holy Spirit means to sadden him. In other words, you do something that makes him upset at you. You do something that makes him upset at you. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans the 12th chapter. Look at what, what Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we are to present ourselves, our, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just on Sunday. Every day. We are to present our, our, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. 
I like what it says in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and, and spirit, perfecting holiness... In the fear of God. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 tells us that, that be holy for I am holy. Uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 tells us that we are to pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. So holiness is a prerequisite and imperative for our lives. Without holiness we won't see the Lord. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the Holy Spirit. Don't make him upset at you. Go to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Look. Everybody got some form of pleasure that they want that is in the world, but it's not of God. To walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God is to deprive you of the pleasures of this world so that way the pleasures of this world will not drown you and bring you into perdition. And so while the devil wanted to lie about it, saying that, you know, you're missing out on something here, and you simply say, yep, I'm missing out on it for a reason. It's for my good. So I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to hate sin, evil, and you, devil, just to please God. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? In other words, there's always a constant warfare that's going on in your flesh and also in your mind. Because the, the, the mind, the way that the mind gets satisfied is by the drug that is in your system that is excreted in the endocrine gland as dopamine. You get a sense of pleasure and, and that that drug is released into your bloodstream and you feel pleased. But you see, what Satan is doing is hijacking that and using that to enslave you to the thing that God hates the most, and that is sin. So what you have to do is exercise discipline and to do things God's way to legally access the dopamine the way that the scriptures intended. And never seek to have that drug used as a way or means to enslave you to its sin. Dopamine is good when it's done legal. I'm talking about your, your, the, the, the drug that is already in your system. I'm not talking about opioids and other means by which to release it. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the legal ways in which dop dopamine is released in your system, into your bloodstream. For instance, even the unsaved, when they have immoral sex, a, the dopamine is released. But guess what? You violated God's word, and guess what? Your conscience is now pricked. Because you know that you've done wrong. 
But you see, if you have sex within the confines of marriage and that drug is released, guess what? There is no conviction of the conscience because you did it the way that God said in his word to do it. And, and see, that's the way the, of, the, of the world, the world wants to do outside of the parameters of the world to access what is already within us. But if we do it God's way, we still can access this and it will be pleasing because he designed this physical body. So why not do what he said to do in his word to access what's in us legally? We get the same, ben we get the same benefit of, of the euphoric pleasure, but the conscience is not pricked. But when we do it, when we access that drug that God placed in us, Outside of the parameters of God's word, the conscience is pricked. So continuing in James chapter 4 verse, verse 2 now. You lust and do not have. In other words, you crave for that which is prohibited. But you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Why? It wasn't pleasing to God. So you, you may have tapped into, dope, into, into the dopamine, but you did it illegally, and therefore you're robbed. And as a result of violating scripture, the wages of sin is death. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. All you got to do is ask the Lord. All you got to do is ask the Lord. You're constantly fighting within trying to have something to obtain something. You see, it's just like the carrot on the stick. You see, God within the confines of his word where your conscience is not pricked will let you have the carrot. But the devil he will never give you the carrot. He will only promise you that you get it, and he's lying, and you never get it. That's why you see what James said, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Watch verse three. You ask and do not receive, why? Because you ask a miss or you ask missing the mark you missed the mark why that you may spend it on your pleasures that you may spend it on your pleasures you see when you're walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good, good work and increasing in the knowledge of God within the confines of his word that pleases God you can ask and you can obtain so James goes on and gives a scathing rebuke. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God or hostile with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain or for nothing? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. And that's why when you see in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 where it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. It's because the spirit on the inside of you dwells in us and yearns jealously. Why? Because he wants you 
to listen to him on how to walk pleasing before God. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians the fifth chapter. Look at verse 16. Galatians the fifth chapter and verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we read out of James chapter 4 about uh, fulfilling the flesh and, and trying to please the flesh because we do not ask. Or when we ask, we ask amiss because we wanted to consume it on our for our own pleasure and not to please God. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To, to walk in the spirit means that you are obeying the commands of Jesus. You are obeying the word of God. See, that's what walking in the spirit requires. Remember what we said, what we saw, I believe it was in uh, Deuteronomy 30. What does the Lord require? Verse 17 here in Galatians chapter 5. For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. In other words, there's a constant conflict between flesh and spirit. Spirit and flesh. And the whole purpose of the warfare is to get you to see that you need to walk in the spirit. So that way you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because walking in the flesh is not for your good. Walking in the spirit, obeying the commands of God, is for your good. Now, I know that I used the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, chapter 10, and, and chapter 30. Uh, because those are, are where Jesus got what he said in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and verse 37. Which continues to this day. Why? Because it is the moral law. We are still to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind slash strength. We are still to do that. But we're constant warfare with our flesh and with our with our with our flesh and with our mind. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary. Or, or, or conflicting to one another. Why? So that you do not do the things that you wish. And, and for a reference, you, all you have to do is look at Romans chapter 7 where Paul speaks at length about the constant warfare of what's going on in the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, you're not under, law, under the law in terms of trying to gain righteousness from the law. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. How can you say that you're not under the law, but you showed us what the law, even showing what Jesus said, is the law? Because that's the moral law. You see, people confuse the, the fact that even though Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, a lot of people confuse the fact that since Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, we are no longer under the law, we are now under the New Testament. But if you read very carefully, the things that are in the law are still enforced in the New Testament. The only difference is Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfill or the fulfillment or the end of the law. 
who do not walk according to the flesh. You see, as long as you're walking according to the flesh, the law will kill you. That's what it says in the book of Romans chapter 7. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So now we're under a new law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. That's why we take on his righteousness and not try to live the law to come up with our own righteousness. And that's what the difference is. Look at verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and uh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Remember when Jesus was on the cross between the sixth and the ninth hour? The sixth and the ninth hour, he was, he was on the cross and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the, the, uh, upon the face of the earth rather, not the deep, the earth. It was that point symbolically that the Lord placed the sins of the whole world on him. Remember what we saw in 1 John chapter 2? That he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins but the sins of the whole world. God placed on, on Jesus our sins. He placed on Jesus our sins and he condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. Why? Because we see here in verse 3, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. For what purpose? Look at verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So every time we're walking in the Spirit, we're walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, and in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We're, 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 we're walking in the Spirit for that purpose, to please God. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, we're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit of God, which comes out of the Word of God. For to be carnally or flesh-minded is death. If you're thinking about sin more you're thinking about righteousness, it should be an indication to you that you're not walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. It should be a clear indication to you. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Can you see why we can never have any peace in sin? There's no peace in sin. Because it pricks the conscience. The conscience tell, tells us that we've sinned against God. And so the conscience is full of of the word of God, whether you study the word of God or not. Even for sinners, the conscience pricks them. They know that they've done wrong. But then again, until you bring the light of the word to them, they may just well assume that they have done no wrong. Because remember what it says in 1 John chapter 1, he, uh, when, when we say, if we have not sinned, we lie and do not practice the truth. Or if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth 
It's not in us. It's very easy to deceive ourselves. Then in the book of Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul tells us that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I mean, we know how to hold down the truth when we want to sin. And don't sit there like you're a saint and you got a halo flying around your head. We know how to suppress truth when we want to sin. And there's no peace there. There's no rest there. But when we walk in the Spirit, when we walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing and being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, there's life and there's peace. For to be carnally minded, verse 6 says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. There's that word en enmity again that we saw in James chapter 4. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Hostile towards God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's no way possible. There's no way possible that you can please God if you're walking in the flesh. You can't fool God, and you can't fool yourself, and you can't fool your conscience. But watch this, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, God doesn't even own you. And that's why every week we quote from the book of Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. The will of the Father is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do that? You do that by walking in the commandments. By walking in the, the commandments that Jesus taught. Remember what he said in the book of Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So the commandments of the Lord is how we walk in the Spirit, walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If any man have not his Spirit, or have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. In other words, the body does not, restore, the body does not respond to sin. That's what it means when, it's, when it says the body is dead because of sin. Why? Because of two things. Number one, Christ died on the cross and released us from the penalty and power and guilt of sin. But also because we ought to reckon ourselves as dead indeed to sin. So the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Walking worthy of the Lord is uh, partly in, involved in, in Ephesians chapter 2 when we get further down. It says, and you he made alive, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, so we're made alive, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But go back up a little bit. Notice what Paul says here that uh, uh, in, in verse 3, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the minds, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. So when we read from Romans chapter 8, we see that when we walk in the flesh, we do not please God. But why? Because we're trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. At that point in time, we were by nature children of wrath just as others. But when we came into Christ, we now have the spirit of Christ on the inside of us. We are his. We are not our own. We are his. And so verse 4 stands out. But God, who is rich in mercy because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, when, even when we were dead in trespasses, rather, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places, in the heavenly places in Christ. And that's where we see. That's where we are seated. And so, uh, 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 in terms of our walking worry of the Lord unto our pleasing, we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind anymore. We now fulfill the righteousness of God by walking in His Word to please Him forevermore. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.